so that people can come and be motivated to pray the Isha Taraweeh with their families and then go back even though tomorrow may be a working day or a school day. So these are, some, alhamdulillah, Allah reward our, our, our brothers here who, who keep in, who always consider what will bring the most people in, what will be the most comfortable time for people and then they, they adjust these things. Even just the aspect of leading the Taraweeh, you know, uh, sometimes we don't make fikr about what's, what's good for the, what is easier for the public. So now, alhamdulillah, here, when the Isha was um, early, 8.45, we did one and a half juz every single day. And now that as soon as Isha moved over to 9 o'clock, we've dropped to a, a juz and a quarter. So we're still ahead. Uh, we're already going to be doing 15th juz today, inshallah, so that when we ever have a fundraiser and we have other nights like that, where we're, we're, it gets, we have a longer bayan, so that we can cut it down to half, half juz or quarter. The point is just saying that deen, we need to present it uh, as, in, as a while not breaking any of the rules, present it in a manner that more and more people can get connected. That's just some, something we should use at our homes as well. That if something is allowed in the deen, then do it. If it will help bring the wife and the kids together, if it will make the children motivated, then do whatever you need to. One of my elder ulama teachers, I was asking him when, uh, about my um, son's hives some years ago. And he said, you know, this, this era, you have to give them gifts and you have to give them prizes and for, uh, for motivate them for every juz or every half juz, give them gifts. And I, was, I didn't expect that from him. But, you know, he, 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 that's what he was saying. Because that's not, you think the old school method of memorization, hey, you got to do it because you got to do it. I told you you got to do it. That's why, you know, what gifts? You're lucky I'm not slapping you. That's the gift. So that, that's what it would be. But now, subhanAllah, you know, things have changed. And so our ulama, they, they, that's what they're saying, that when, if there's nothing wrong with giving you gifts. Tahadu, tahabu, tahadu, tahabu. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, give gifts to one another and increase your muhabba and love for one another. So if we can do that at home, why not? We should try our best with staying within the limits of the sharia. Do whatever you need to do to get people connected to the deen is what I was just saying. Okay, so we're reading from Kitab al-Zuhd al-Raqaiq of Abdullah al-Barak, Softening the Heart. This is what we're reading every day, just in case you're joining first time. Yesterday we were doing the topic of sorrow and weeping. Um, uh, just simply weeping in fr- uh, from the love and the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, and then uh, actually we did concealed actions and remembrance. And then humility and fear. So these are three th- things we've been doing for the past three days. And the next topic is uh, striving and worship. Striving and worship. Meaning, how did the Sahaba, what type of, what level of effort did they do? The type of effort they made, how much extra effort they did uh, to, you know, exert themselves in ibadah. Laith narrated that Mujahid said, Remember, these statements are from the earliest era. Abdullah Mubarak, if you remember, from the second century. <laughs> so, now he says, Today, those of you who are striving... This is in 2nd century Hijri. The, today those of you who are striving are, are, are only like those of the earlier generations who are merely playing. Kalak. So he's saying, the ones who work extra hard amongst you are like even the people in the back in the previous era, in, during the era of Rasulullah and Sahaba and those who came after them, 70, 80 Hijri. And this, they would think they would laugh at you. So this is what you call ibadah. So there's a, this is a whole concept of st- striving. You know, they say a man, man, he works hard. He's got three jobs. He's a hardworking man. You know, he brings halal risk at home. We appreciate that. We appreciate men working hard. 
Right? MashaAllah, what was just announced, we need some volunteers after Taraweeh. That's great. We're going to appreciate those people. After Taraweeh at 11 o'clock, who's going to come and dis- help dismantle the bon- uh, bonfire set up there so that we can have some more space for parking. <laughs> and the bonfire will be moved somewhere else. <laughs> right? So the hard work is good. But what about hard work for ibadah? Where is the appreciation for that? And that's something we need to revive. You have heard, alhamdulillah, we have different campaigns going on here at Darussalam from the past few years. We had a you know, 5 million or 7 million salawat campaign. Then we had a you know, 25 million istighfar campaign. We currently have a 2,000 khatma Qur'an campaign. Alhamdulillah, from alhamdulillah today, I started off uh, with a few brothers as a campaign here to, for the hufath to do. Or not any hafid or anyone who is fluent in reading, one Qur'an in one day. So mashallah, his brother sat at Fajr. And some stat, started off after Taraweeh last night. Alhamdulillah, not too many, maybe 10 or so. But mashallah, finishing the entire reading in less than a day. And the, I, I thought that this will be something, inshallah, with a little bit more marketing from, uh, you know, maybe the last Sunday of, of uh, Thikaf, we can do it to make our, actually a flyer. I just thought came to me last night. I said, why don't we do this? Have a hafad and anyone who's a fluent reciter, come. You can come on Saturday night till Sunday Maghrib, right? Sunday, Saturday after Taraweeh, you start. Before Maghrib, the next day finish. For people who can read, but simply they're not motivated. They're just so sucked up in their other things. Whole Ramadan is going by. How many hundreds of thousands of hafad, unfortunately, are not reading the Quran? Non-hafad, that's another story. Even hafad, unfortunately, we know the reality. Not everyone is blessed to be leading taraweeh. You know, full Quran. Life moves on. They're in work, they're in school, they're in college. Married with kids, this, that, whatever. They're not. They're neglecting the Quran. Hopefully, this will be a means of some people to come and connect with the Quran. And I tell you, America and this era is very ajib. One day, I just recently I met a brother in the here in the, outside, and he ended up coming because a friend brought him, and that friend ended up coming because he saw an Instagram video of the water fountain, and he asked the person, "Where is this?" And he said, "This is a Dar Salam." And this guy lives only 20 minutes away from here, so he said, "Chal, let's go." And let's bring my friend too. So now he's a newbie. I thought, mashallah, I was welcoming me. Then he told me something very surprising. He said, brother, I spent 10 years in Pakistan in a madrasa. But now my situation is, I don't know Dua'i Qunut. I was in Witter, I don't know Dua'i Qunut. And he said, I realize I've gotten so far away from the deen that I need to come back to the masjid. SubhanAllah, I was very happy. Allah allowed me to meet him, speak with him. Um, and we had a good, good, good discussion. But this is, what, this is our era right now. A person can spend 10 years in madrasa, but if you don't stay connected to the environment, you'll forget everything. The very basics of deen. Right? So this is, uh, make dua, this, this effort of ours pay, pays off, and that inshallah the next week, or the, during the last ashra, during Sunday, uh, you know, we can have a nice, maybe 50 brothers come, or more, uh, from across the city, and to recite one Quran. Inshallah. And then next year also we can do the same thing. Uh, you know, and inshallah we can do something amongst the sisters as well. Um, so the idea is now someone may say, brother, that's too much. But look what he's saying. This whole chapter is called striving in worship. You know how long it takes to read for a hafiz, or who's a fluent hafiz, who reads quick? It takes him, he, took four, he can read one juice in 15 to 20 minutes, max. So one hour he can read three to four juice. So he can read the entire khatam between eight and a half hours to... 10 hours. Is that a lot? Is that too much? Too much? Is that ridiculous? Is that extremist? Reading 10 hours of Quran? Allahu Akbar. Nothing. That's what I'm trying to say. 
If it takes you one and a half hour to read one juice, no problem. No one's telling you to read 30 juices in one day. But guess what? If you want to speed up, there's only one quick way. There's no magic to it. You just got to read more. If you're saying it's taking me one, this mashallah, I met students here who said it takes us one and a half hour to read, uh, one hour to read one Quran. I said, no, uh, one juice. I said, start reading more. Alhamdulillah, they made one round. They're on the second round, they're already down to 45 minutes. Simple as that. One student said, I, I, I only read one, I'll read one Quran in Ramadan. I said, no, not acceptable. I don't accept one Quran. You need to do more than that. Push it up. Do three. So what happened? As he, as he started reading, he started spending more time. He said, it takes me a long time. I said, okay, guess what? I won't tell you how much to read. I'll give you, I'm asking you, give me two and a half hours of daily Quran recitation. Can you do that? Regardless of how much you read. Two and a half hours I want for me to read. If you read half juice, half juice. If you read one juice, just look at the time. Focus without your phone, two and a half hours of reading. So Alhamdulillah, he agreed. And MashaAllah, I'm so happy to share that he just literally cut his reading time by 25%. Meaning, he's just sped up. The more time you spend, the quicker you will be. You become more fluent. Simple as that. So we should not f get afraid. Brother, this is too much ibadat. Too much dhikr. Too much this. This is what Ramadan is about. This is what we are supposed to be. As men and women, we're supposed to be the people of, of ibadah. Awza'i reported that he heard Bilal ibn Sa'ad saying, Zahidukum raghib, wa mujtahidukum muqassir, wa alimukum jahil, wa jahilukum muqtar. Allahu Akbar. Your ascetics, yani zahid means the one, this is Kitab al-Zuhud, the ones who are disinterested in dunya, the ones who are disinterested in dunya, the ones whose hearts are not running after material things. He said, the ascetics and the, uh, of Zuhud, zahideen of you all, your community, raghib are actually people, raghib who actually desire dunya. Meaning, you, this is not what you call a zahid. This is your best zahid you've got. I see he's not zahid, he is materialistic. That's what he's saying. Compared to the Sahaba. And then he said, Mushtahidukum. He said, This is your hardworking, diligent Abid. He is, he's falling short. Muqassir is the one who's not working hard enough, slacking. Ali Mukum, this is your scholar. Man, he said, This is ignorant. If this is your scholar, he's an ignorant of the people of the past. Wajahilukum muqtar. And your own, your, if you call this ignorant, this is not ignorant. He is, this individual is not ignorant of your era. He's deluded. Majnoon, fool. He's not a jahil, a person who says, La tadri wa tadri annaka la tadri. You don't know, and you know that you don't know. So then you will learn. But one is, La tadri wa la tadri annaka la tadri. You don't know, and you don't know that you don't know. This is Mukhtar. He's deceived by his own ignorance. He thinks he knows everything. And that's in America, this is number one. People don't know anything about the deen, but they will speak as though they are the authority on this topic in the world. So when a person feels like they're authority, you can't even begin to explain. You see how moon sighting. Talk about halal, zabiha. Just famous topics, talaq. What else? What are the other topics there? Anything else, you name it. People will speak with such conviction that a scholar will feel shy to open his mouth. They say, bhai, yeh bada mufti hai. You know, let me just keep quiet. But subhanAllah, he doesn't know the alif ba of anything. But you know, you cannot debate with such people. That's what Imam Shafi says. I have won debates with great scholars, but I've never won a debate with a jahil. You cannot win a debate with an ignorant person. Because there's no common ground of debate. He thinks that he knows everything, and he thinks you know, every, know nothing, and he doesn't even know what he doesn't know. How are you supposed to discuss anything with him? So there's a lot of people, unfortunately, who if they simply were to say, you know what, I'm ready to learn. I messed up, I got very unorthodox opinions, but you know what, let me hear what you got to say. 
They will understand so much of the deen. Humility is the key. But when a person says that no, I already know everything and I don't need to learn, then you can never teach that person. May Allah save us from this type of ignorance and arrogance. Right? Where we don't even recognize our own ignorance. Humayd ibn Hilal narrated Abu Qatada that Ubaidullah ibn Qurs al-Layfi radiyallahu anhu said, Listen to this hadith, brothers. Very powerful. A Sahabi is telling a Tabi'i. A Sahabi is telling a Tabi'i. Yani, right? Someone who saw the Prophet ﷺ, who spent time in the company of the Prophet ﷺ, he's telling, about, he's telling to those who came afterwards. You do deeds today which in your eyes are lighter than a hair. You commit sins which according to you are just, it's a small thing, man. Don't make a big deal out of it. This is just, you know, makruh tanzihi. Yeah? This is just mushtabah doubtful. This is just this is just makru tahrimi also, but according to some, not everyone. This is haram according to some, not everyone. This is the type we speak. She so said, "You do such actions which in your eyes are lighter than a hair. What is a hair? If you have a hair that's uh, that has fallen into your drink, your chai, or your food, is your own hair? You take it and throw it away. Not a big deal. It's not a cockroach." Right? It's your own strand of your beard hair fell into it. You take it and throw it away. Nothing. Not, not a big deal. He said, you regard sins as, as small, light hair. But during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, we regarded those same things as absolutely destructive sins that will get you to hellfire. You, used to take, you take it so light. And we regard it as something that if we did it, game over. We're going to go to Jahannam. So then... Um, the narrator says, I told Abu Qatada, what would have been uh, uh, the reaction of Ubaidullah ibn Qurs al-Layfi if he came and saw our time, meaning the time after even the tabi'in. He said, that is why I am saying this. Meaning, yes, of course, he would, he would be, they, the companions would be shocked. I remember one day, one of my elders' teachers was giving me advice. And man, you know, we were in Saudi. We're walking by. And he said, if you the Sahaba were here, this is like 10, 5, 6 years ago. He said, do you seriously think Bilal, Khabbab, Khubayb, you know, of course Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu, if they saw someone playing music in their car, just walking down, you know, we're just, we're walking in the night after Isha, back to our hotel. Uh, it was in Aziziyah. And so he said, if, you, if you're walking by and you see some music, someone playing, Adhan is going off or the Salah began and people are not praying. Do you really think Khabbab and Khubayb Abu Ubaid ibn Jarrah, Mu'ad ibn Jabal, huh? Bilal ibn Rabi Rabah would just say, it's none of my business. None of my business. Every man for himself. Man, you know what? Everyone's got to go into their own grave. I don't know. Just look down and move on. He asked me, and I, I was just forced to say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, this is what Abu Bakr Siddiq said. Is it possible that deen can go down while I'm alive? Not possible. If, if I'm alive, deen is going to be going up. And if deen is going down, that means Abu Bakr is dead. It's not possible that in, under my watch, I am going to allow people to neglect the deen. 
with, as long as I can fight tooth and nail and I have the ability to convince people to come back to the deen through hook or crook, through carrot or stick, whatever. If it's happening while I'm alive, it's got to be good. And if, it's hap- if bad is happening, then it means you're going to find me struggling to defend the deen and to bring people back to the deen. I cannot just act as though it's not a big deal. The least you have to have is you have to have such pain when you see sin. Pain. The way you see your bank balance going down, you lost money in the stock market, right? What happens to you? You don't just, ah. You feel it. Well, that's how you're supposed to feel when you see people neglecting Islam. When Muslims start turning their backs towards the deen. When Islam is being, you know, in the sunnahs of the Prophet are being slaughtered. We have to feel the pain. If we don't, then I'm sorry, we have to second, we have to second, we have to check again rather. We have to check again whether our iman is still present in our hearts. Because the Prophet said, وَذَلِكَ أَضْعَفُ iman." The one who sees sin, the first thing he should do is stop it with his hands. If he can't do that, stop it with his tongue. If he can't do that, then he needs to, فَبِقَلْبِهِ then from your heart, you need to be making dua, and from your heart, you need to be feeling guilty over the fact that sins are happening. وَذَلِكَ أَضْعَفُ iman," And that's the lowest level of iman. When you see an Instagram video, when you see some random YouTube video of what's happening in, in Pakistan, or what's happening in the Middle East, or what's happening in our weddings, yeah, in the colleges of the Muslim countries, if you don't feel pain, then your iman, ask Allah whether you have true iman or not. Ask yourself, of what type of fuhsh, what type of indecency, what type of lewdness that is indescribable happening in, in, in Muslim homes, in Muslim countries, in Muslim lands, in Muslim communities. Our heart has to feel the pain. If you don't feel the pain, then there's something wrong. The good example of this is when a person hears someone, he has a video of some two, three people sp- uh, making fun of your mother, uh, poking fun at your parents, cursing out your mother. You see, there's a get together somewhere, and there's someone minced, they've sent a video. These three people are speaking bad about your mom. It happened last night, it happened the day before. You weren't there. My beloved brothers, what are you going to say? Is it going to swat her off like a fly? Yeah, whatever. It's, you know, at least I wasn't there. At least my mom is dead. She's not alive anymore. Is that what you would say? Or you go track those people down and show them what a son does when his mother is attacked like that. That's what it is. The ghayra. It's the fact that, hey, that's my mom. That's my dad. You dare not ever say anything about them. Well, I didn't touch them. I don't care about touching them. You have no right to even speak about them. That is supposed to be the good old love that a daughter or a son would have for their parents. That they will defend the honor of their parents. And will not allow someone to speak ill about them. Subhanallah. What about the Prophet ﷺ? What about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Where is at least the ghayrah within the heart of a believer today? To say, Ya, you know what man, youngsters and you have money, so do what you want. Huh? To speak ill about the Allah and His Rasul, to break the, the, the commandments of the deen, you have to feel pain. So, this is what's the problem right now. The Sahaba could not take it, they couldn't take sins. And we unfortunately have become so laxed with this that it's like, oh, it's only makruh, it's only fulan. I remember growing up in this here, yeah, in the sixth grade, one kid came up to me and says, You know, eating haram chicken, or you know, he doesn't use haram chicken, he said, Eating McDonald's is, is makruh. Just random fatwa, just sixth grader, just random fatwa. Like what? Like where'd you get that from? I don't know. But everyone, I still remember his the kid's name, Subhanallah. But you know, his father was like a practicing person. He might have been practicing too, but he just randomly just came to class one day and said, "Hey, McDonald's is makru." 
But the first of all, I've said this before, makru and haram, when it comes to practicality, it's the same. You're supposed to stay away from both of them. The difference is if you reject a haram, you leave the fold of Islam. You reject a makru, you don't leave the fold of Islam. That's what the difference is. But when it, because why? It's based on the authenticity of the proof by which you prove something is makru or haram. But when it comes to practicality of staying away from it, you must stay away from it. If a person constantly does makru, that is haram. If a person constantly does makru, that's haram. So please stop, you know, t- telling our children or, 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 and youth who are here as well, please stop asking, is this haram? Remember the other day I spoke about this? What did I say? Give the example. Anyone remember who came here? What did I say about, don't keep on asking if it's haram. This example, if, if, you, if someone says this against the law, what did I say? Exactly, good. I said, if someone says this against the law, you're going to get in trouble for it. You say, oh, will I get electrocuted? Will I be sent to the electric chair if I do this? If, you know, this is what you'd expect from a five-year-old. But a 20, 25-year-old, 15-year-old won't ask something foolish like that. Every single offense is not electric chair, by. But there's bigger things too. You know, misdemeanor is a big thing. You know, first degree offense, second degree offense is a big thing too. Spending one night in jail is a big thing too. Getting booked is a big thing too. You know, five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years in prison is a big thing too. Not everything is electrocution. You know, being electrocuted by electric chair. So we should not equate like, oh, if, as long as it's not murtak, you know, haram li'aynihi and going to jahannam, that means I can do it. That is the mizaj, the temperament today. That don't tell me about stuff that is just makruh. So what did he say? He said, oh, just eating haram chicken is what? Makruh. No proof of this. Allah Azza wa yesterday we recited in the Taraweeh, Allah Azza wa says, وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَا تَصِيفُوا أَلْسِنَتُكُمُ الْكَذِبَ هَذَا حَلَالُ وَهَذَا حَرَامُ لِتَفْتَرُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبُ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَفْتَرُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبَ لَا يَفْلِحُونَ Don't be like the people who falsely accuse Allah and make false assumptions about Allah and attribute things to Allah which He never said. And they say, هَذَا حَلَالُ وَهَذَا حَرَامُ this is halal for something which Allah never said is halal. And هَذَا حَرَامُ to say, say something haram which Allah never said is haram. Right? إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَفْتَرُونَ اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ Those people who falsely lie and make up lies against Allah, لا يفلحون, they will never be successful. Urwa ibn Zubair narrated that Miswar ibn Makhrama said, لَقَدْ وَارَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَقْوَامًا لَوْ رَأَوْنِي جَالِسًا مَعَكُمْ لَاسْتَحْيَيْتُ مِنْهُمْ Urwa ibn Zubair narrates that Miswar ibn Makhrama said, the ground is filled with the types of people who if they were to see me sitting with you, I would be ashamed. Meaning, he's saying that if the Sahaba were to see me sitting with people who are so, unfortunately, frankly speaking, uh, not at the level of the deen that they were, uh, what you call, I would never want to get caught sitting with you. Because they would say, why are you sitting with someone who is not constantly in the remembrance of Allah? Why are you sitting with someone whose priorities are messed up? SubhanAllah, we're so far away from this. But you see, the purpose of reading this is to hopefully motivate us to understand that's a gold standard. We're so far away from the gold standard. And so this is, we should not bring the standard down. I was just speaking to one imam right now to be planning out an, an youth, what you call a youth qiyam in one masjid in another city. So I said, brother, we'll do 40 salawat. It's the night of Jummah. Brother, we don't want to make it too intense. What do you mean too intense? Sending salawat on the Prophet on Thursday night is too intense? You're the imam of the masjid, my friend. You're supposed to set the temperature. You're supposed to set the tempo. That's the problem. People come to you 
for your guidance. You don't sit there and say, Bhai, what do you all want to do? Everyone wants just bubble tea and chicken, chick sandwiches. You know, that's what they want. Just sit there, let's have fried chicken and bubble tea and call it a night. People will be happy. Imam's job is to say, no, this is what you're going to do. You go to a trainer. Imagine you put me to a trainer and, and I tell the trainer, ask me, Bhai Azim, what you want to do? I'll say, Bhai, please, you know what, inshallah, let's chat, chat, chat and then let's call it a night. That's my type of training. He'll say, no, you didn't come. If you, that's what you came for, then get out of here. I'll tell you how we're going to train. That's how it's supposed to be. So the imam has to understand his role. And I'm telling you this, that if you ever hear an imam who's bringing democracy in the masjid, say, brother, this is what you're here for. Ah. You, t- you imagine democracy in a doctor's office. What is your opinion? What did you say? What kind of doctor will do this? Taking the opinions of the patient and the patient's family. You came because he's an expert. You give him your blood test results, this, that, and then you look at all this stuff, he'll, he'll give you prescribed medication or, or, or strategy. Imam's job is to take blood test of the community. F- understand what's happening. Understand. You have to really understand, of course, what's happening in the houses, what's happening in the schools, what's happening on the streets, what's happening in the nights, what's happening in the days. And then you come up with a full schedule. This is how we're going to roll. First year we're going to do this, next year we're going to do this, third year we're going to do this. And you bit by bit, you increase the imani, ruhani level of the community. Not to say, let's go down to your level. Game over. That's going to be a failure. So what I'm trying to say is, people think like that. They say, oh, in Chicago is hardcore. Darussalam is hardcore. I said, Darussalam is not hardcore. Chicago is hardcore. You, are so, you, have, you have no backbone. That's the problem. And these are my very candid, candid conversations with my fellow colleagues. Candid conversations. That subhanAllah, you set the temple. You tell the people, Asa karna hai. And they do it. They say, Alhamdulillah, we listen and obey. You know, you're, you're saying everything from Quran and Hadith. Why will not we believe you? And when there's confusion, you explain to them further. This is another Hadith about this. Another Hadith, people listen. Alhamdulillah. That's how it is. That's why I'm so blessed to have people like you sitting here. MashaAllah. Who sit and listen and who immediately bring it to practice and put me to shame to the degree of practice you all have. Alhamdulillah. That's amazing. We're so blessed to have such a group of people, students and community members in this community that you give them one small... The other day we made mudakar of miswak. Remember the first day of Taraweeh? I spoke about miswak for, like, as a tangent. MashaAllah, look at the community. How many people came, dropped up boxes? How many people have messaged me privately, told me in person, Brother, I'm so sorry. I neglected this sunnah. Right after a small reminder, khalas. You know, it was a little, yani a little rough reminder. You know, gloves off type of reminder. But it was nonetheless. And they appreciated it. They're like, Khalas, we started it. We started Miswak. Alhamdulillah. There's so much khair in the community. I promise you. There's so much khair in the community. People are willing to listen. You just have to tell them. You cannot just say, Oh no, I want to bring it down to your level. Instead, say, Okay, you really want spiritual health? You want spirituality? You know? Then this is the way to do it. Alhamdulillah, people are listening. So what I'm trying to say is that reading this book as we go through is not a purpose of making us depressed. To say, oh, hey, <coughs> we're so far away from this. No. Instead, it's supposed to tell us that's what the gold standard is. That's where I need to work towards. And one day, how many of us sitting here, we're in business, read the biographies of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies? How many of us sit there idolizing Steve Jobs? Business people. But you're not, you, cannot, you don't have money to buy an iPhone right now. First, do that. You want to sit and read biography of Steve Jobs. So, no, 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 no. That's how it happens. You know, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read about how all they became multimillionaires. Then you see, then I'm going to get motivated to go. He has basically, he hasn't cut his lawn for the past three, four months. But he's one day reading to CEO bi- biographies. 
Because someone has told him, you'll get motivation, you gotta look at the gold standard. So it makes sense what I'm saying? So in the dunya, we look at the gold standard even though we are, we are on the, you know, below the ground standard. So in the akhirah as well, same thing. We're supposed to read the stories of the sahaba. Read the stories of the tabi'un. And that should, inshaAllah, motivate us. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, uh, Sufyan narrated, Abu Darda radiallahu anhu said, وَجَدْتُ النَّاسَ وَجَدْتُ النَّاسَ أُخْبَرْ تَقْلَهُ I have found that if you try people, <laughs> you will dislike them. If you try people, you dislike them. Okay, if you were to privy to every little detail about people, you would begin to hate them. It means when you put people to test, you are going to be disappointed and you will abandon them because of the flaws and faults that you shall uncover. How many of us have tested that? Right? That's the thing, right? So the idea is, just don't, there's like a bitter fruit. Just don't try it. Calm se calm. You know, sometimes you have very nice uh, uh, ornaments on a table. You know, fake fruits. That's what people are like that. Keep, use them for ornaments. Don't sit there and bite into them. And if someone bites into us also, unfortunately, we're not also very pure and clean. We're also, unfortunately, also filled with flaws. The idea is, focus on improving ourselves. When it deals with other people, don't go too deep into their lives. Calm say calm. You don't want to go deep into someone's personal life because you're not going to find, you'll always find flaws. If you want to dig up stuff, you'll always find skeletons. Abdullah ibn Yazid Mu'afari narrated that Abdullah ibn Amr al-As, conqueror of Egypt, what did he say? لَأَنْ أَعْمَلَ الْيَوْمَ عَمَلًا أُقِيمَ عَلَيْهِ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِنْ ضِعْفِهِ فِي مَا مَضَى لِأَنَّا حِينَ أَسْلَمْنَا وَقَعْنَا فِي عَمَلِ الْآخِرَةِ فَأَمَّ الْيَوْمَ فَقَدْ خَلَّبَتْنَا الدُّنْيَا I prefer to do an action today and stay steadfast on it than do double of it in the past. Because when we became Muslims, we dedicated ourselves to the works of the next world. Today, however, the world has seized us. I want, I want, to listen, I want all of you to listen to this again. I prefer to do an action today and stay steadfast on it. One action. Alhamdulillah, you're coming for the Asr talk here. Asr to Maghrib. One action. Stick to that. You're coming for Taraweeh. Stick to that. You stay for the Tafsir after Isha. Stick to that. One thing. You can't do all things. Take one thing and stick to it. He said, I would rather do that than double of it in the past, than doing multiple things in my previous, uh, yani during the time of Rasulullah When we became Muslims. Because that time, we dedicate ourselves to the world, works of the next world. I mean, that time we were on a high. Who's saying this? Sahabi is saying this. Allahu Akbar, conqueror of Egypt, Abdullah ibn Amr al-As, one of the great mukthirin of hadith, one of the great narrators of hadith. What is he saying? We were... People of Akhirah, when, when we became Muslims. And now the world has seized us. Allahu Akbar. If he's saying this about himself, where do you and I, where, what are we going to say, man? So the idea is, what, 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 why we're going to end on this hadith today here, is it's a beautiful take-home point to say, it's, we're not in the era of the Sahaba. Even the Sahabi is saying, I've changed. Out of his humility and humbleness, and well, you know, reality is if you don't have Rasul around, you obviously cannot be the same. Yeah? You can't be the same. So he's saying, I'm just gonna take something and hold on to it firmly. Same thing for us. We cannot do everything, but stay away from sins is the main thing. And then whatever actions we do, uh, beyond, these, uh, beyond the uh, basics, if you take one or two, just stick to it. Main thing is istiqamah. 
If it's three, three, one tasbih of Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Ilallah, Allahu Akbar, just stick to it. Fine. You cannot do 10,000 salawat. No problem. You do 100 salawat, but stick to it no matter what day, what night it is. Do your 100 Dru Sharif, your 100 Istighfar, your 100 Kalima Tayyib. Read your Yaseen. You're not reading all the surahs. No problem. Read your Mulk before you go to bed. You can't read Mulk Sajda Waqiya. Okay, read one. Something or another, just stick to it with Istiqamah. Once you've done that for one month, you can add one more thing. One more month, then add one more thing. And so we should not try to, in Ramadan, try to do so many things that we end up burning out. And then we say after Ramadan, I need to go to Las Vegas for a one week vacation. Asabi, look, I have met. After Ramadan, they've told me, I'm going for vacation. I said, wait a minute. I'm going to Phoenix or I'm going to Las Vegas. Why? Burnt out, man. Ramadan was tough. Like, what? I don't understand. But yeah, this is a craze. So the idea is, so don't burn out. Don't, don't. Take something, be consistent with it. But do not say, I'm going to be consistent with only leaving one haram. No, 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 no. You have to leave all haram. Until, and if you say, I'm too addicted to certain harams, then at least repent every day and say, Ya Allah, please get me out of this mess. I know this is wrong. I am not going to give false excuses for it being permissible because it is not permissible. But help me get out of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us to put these things that I've shared. If there was any benefit in it, it was from Allah. If I made any mistakes, I hurt anyone's feelings, please forgive us. We ask Allah Azawajal to bring the reality of what we just shared in our heart. And make, he, make us amongst those who do ikthar bin al-ibadah, who do ibadah abundantly. Amin ya rabbal alameen. We'll do dhikr for a couple minutes and everyone can go downstairs for iftar and we'll do the dua from here, inshaAllah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله على محمد 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 صلى الله عليه وسلم استغفر الله استغفر الله استغفر الله استغفر الله استغفر الله استغفر الله 
Let's all, inshallah, please proceed downstairs. Iftar is at Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Sifuna wa Salamun al Mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.